welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way you see success, purpose, and what it takes to bridge the two. I call these women Dream Makers because they use their rebel nature to achieve their dreams and lift people and communities up. You simply can't have one without the other. And I want to learn how they do it so that more of us can find purpose while pursuing our own growth. So we open up a bottle of wine and we talk and we have some fun. I'm Neha Sampat, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on meaningful companies that are places to dream big, build up, and be a good human. I'm CEO of Content Stack, a modern technology stack for all of your digital content, and also a certified sommelier, hence the wine. Today, I'm joined by Christy Cleveland, a woman who has transformed content ecosystems at several organizations. Christy is currently Senior Product Manager at Freelytics. I called her an inventor and she challenged me and she said, actually, I'm a creative. <laughs> hey, Christy. Hey, how are you, Neha? Good. Thanks for joining Dream Makers. So excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. It's really cool to be here. <laughs> so tell me, what's the distinction between inventor and creative? Why was that an important distinction for you? I mean, okay, if you look at thesaurus, they're, they're synonyms, right? Um originator, creator, inventor, designer, divisor, all these different words, right? For me, I think when the word of inventor is sort of like this, there are perhaps rigid expectations there for you to deliver something um, of value and something that's going to change other people's lives, right? You invent something and it goes out into the wild and people use it and they find value in it, right? As a creative I feel like there's a lot less expectations. You don't know what to expect from someone. There, there aren't a lot of expectations around being a creative, you know? Um, you can then make things for the sake of making and you make things just for yourself and things that are also really internal and that don't go out into the wild. They only serve you. So they only serve your soul. And that's why I really like the term creative. But also when I look at my creative inspirations over my life, they're not designated as inventors, like David Lynch is a creative and Kate Bush is a creative, Mary Blair, the Disney artist, creative, Hilary Mantel, creative writer, Fiona Apple, incredibly creative musician, David Burns, Stevie, Stevie Nicks, Neil Stevenson, Daniel Ricardo, Formula One driver, all these people that drive me to just live a creative life. They're maybe not necessarily deemed inventors. That's awesome. It's like you're taking the pressure off of what an inventor might mean, but giving yourself the freedom to be creative and still bringing, I, I love that you tied it back to soul. Like, I think that's such an important part of even thinking in the context of being a dream maker, it all comes back to like, what drives you as, you know, what's, what keeps you going? Why are you doing it? It has to be something you care about. I love it. Okay. Let's, we've already poured ourselves a little glass of wine. Let's talk about the wine a little bit and have a sip. And then we can jump into a little bit more because I love where you're going. I'm going to share. So the wine that we opened was this delicious and beautiful. I have got a little bottle and I think you, you probably got a, hopefully got a whole size one. A Biacar Simon. This is a champagne. One of my favorites. It's a, it's a rosé and it's got a lovely color, which I have in this glass. So you can hopefully see it. And it's a, it's kind of a light pale pink with almost a tint of orange. And this is one of my favorite champagnes. I love the winemakers. It's a family owned winery that's been around since the 1800s, which is really rare to find these days. Generation to generation, I think they're on their ninth or 10th generation now. And they take so much pride in how they make the wine and how much time they put into it. And they're always about time and quality over 
quantity or over fast delivery, which I really respect um, in, in something as creative as wine. So let's just have a quick sip and enjoy. Cheers, Sante. Yeah, and thank you for shipping this bottle to Germany. I really appreciate it. It was a lovely gesture, so. Oh, of course. The logistics of you and me getting the same wine is always part of the challenge of setting these things up because um, I live in Texas now and getting certain wines to Texas is already challenging. So I have to always compare like what's something that would be fun, exciting, interesting, and worthy of the occasion, but that we can get to two distinct locations. And so this is the one that won that battle. What I love about this too is like the, because of almost all the care that the winemakers put into it, they spend time fermenting it more than a typical champagne house might. And that gives it a lot of freshness because the acidity holds the freshness of the fruit. And so you can actually, I feel like you can actually taste some of the red fruit when you taste this wine. And, um, and then the citrusness from the acidity also comes out really strong. And I almost get like grapefruit peel or lemon, but then like strawberries and raspberries and like red fruits. It's very, my palate is nothing compared to yours and your training, but it's really refreshing is what I like about it. It's very, no, um, effervescent beyond like your typical champagne. So, and actually, do you know what town they're in, in the champagne region? Because I used to, when I studied in Paris, I used to go out there a whole lot. I, if I try to pronounce it now, I'll probably fumble, but I'll put it into the notes and it's, it's like 20 minutes. It's a village, like 20 minutes outside of the main regions in Champagne outside of Epernay. So it starts with an M and I can't remember the name of it at the moment. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful wine. Effervescence. And it's interesting because when I teach my wine classes, which I haven't had a chance to do in a while, I usually try to pair wine with the personality. And I think it's really cool that we ended up with a sparkling, bubbly wine and you said effervescence yourself, but I was going to tie it back to you as an effervescent personality, which is how people like <laughs> Content Stack who have had the opportunity to work with you describe you. She's very effervescent and bubbly and, and interesting. And so I thought it was a very fitting wine for our conversation today. <laughs> That is a really nice thing to say about me, comparing me to a champagne. Um, (laughs) I am going to take that forevermore and maybe put on my LinkedIn like a bottle of champagne. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All right, Christy, I want to learn more about you. So I found that every person has a superpower and when they recognize and respect that and then they apply it consistently, that's when magic comes together and magic happens. What is your superpower and how do you cultivate that? Oh boy. Enthusiasm is the first thing that comes to mind. I have to say probably everywhere I've worked, my coworkers have always said I have an extraordinary amount of enthusiasm for what I do. And I think I'm really good at rallying people around and getting them excited about things, you know, things that I'm excited about myself. I mean, it's key in my role as a product manager. So I've been a product manager for 12 years now. And, you know, one of the things that's really core to being a product manager is that you need to bring people into agreement in order to get everyone to go forward and build something together. And if you're not excited about, you know, what you're doing, then you can't get other people excited. You can't get them on that bus going in that same direction. No one's going to get on a boring bus. They want to get on an exciting bus that they know is going to bring them a good time and is going to help solve their problems. Um, And that's what I do for a living. 
yeah. get people on the really exciting bus. <laughs> I love it. Do you consider yourself a rebel? When do you, what do you think of when you see that, hear that word? Is that something you dissociate with? Fuck yeah, I do. Like <laughs> that is like, <laughs> yes, yes. So I, there's this, there's this tension in me. It's always been there that like, you know, I'm like this nice girl. I'm the girl next door. I want to see everyone happy, but also I just want to break shit and then <laughs> build it and make it better. And I don't like going the same route as everyone else. So, so yeah, I think that's probably where I end up being a rebel. It's, but it is a strange tension in me because I think also in my role as a product manager, you are getting everyone on the bus and getting everyone together and getting them aligned. But, you know, there's that part of me that will always challenge the status quo. I'm always going to be questioning. Do you feel like that's helped you and worked in your favor or, or maybe not? Both. It's, it's, I mean, I'm damned either way. Uh, (laughs) And, but, you know, honestly, at this point in my life, I just own it because that's who I am. And early on in my career, I would compromise. You know, I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to rock the boat, but I would get so upset at not doing what I thought was right or, you know, not challenging things when I thought that they could be better and be done better. Like when people were half-assing things or, you know, they weren't really wanting to follow the entire vision because it was too scary. And I just got so sick of compromising that, you know, maybe it's, it honestly probably is like when you shake a champagne bottle and the cork pops. Um, I've said so many times, like, man, that's just, that just pops my cork. Like, and, and I, that's what I say when I get mad. So, so yeah, it's definitely, definitely worked against me, but probably the best time it worked for me was when I was at Blizzard and I was in a meeting talking about how the CMS at Blizzard was really frustrating me. It was preventing me from doing my job. It was slowing down those who reported to me and preventing them from doing their job. Mm-hmm. And that was this cork popping frustration. And so I went into this meeting and listed off all the things. I'm like, this is bad. This is absolute shit. You have to fix this. And the poor guy in the room who was the owner of the CMS just was sitting there watching me list all of this off. And you could see him sinking and sinking and <laughs> sinking. And I didn't even feel bad about it. I just needed to get shit done. And then um, we got to the end of the meeting and he said, all of your complaints are valid. I don't know what I can do about them because I don't have the resources, but let's talk more about this. And I just kind of deflated and I felt kind of like an asshole at that point. And then we started talking some more and I started thinking, oh, he's kind of handsome. No, 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 no. I work with him. I work with him. Well, let's just fast forward to like a year later when we got married. (laughs) And that's how I met my husband was, you know, basically I was... I was really enthusiastic about helping my employees and driving the business forward. And then I was just really frustrated and angry and going against the status quo and, you know, resisting all of these things that people were saying, you know, this is just the way it has to be. But that's how I met my husband. I think this is like (laughs) one of my favorite stories I've ever heard. It's so awesome. And I like in my role at Content Stack, we always talk about how we try to bring together the business thinkers and the technical thinkers and we bring them in a room and we harmonize them. And and like we actually try to help make that connection happen and solve some problems for organizations. And um, I think that you just described (laughs) exactly that. It's really, really cool. 
So what, in your path and in your career, what's kind of been the most difficult thing that you've come across? Gosh, um, I think it, it probably goes back to pushing boundaries, pushing the status quo, and always wanting to improve. It's really easy to, you know, stay the course in a way, like when the course is not one that's really challenging or really scary. It's very easy to stay in that safe space. And I've never really liked uh, the safe space. I think my entire life is a, a testament to never staying in that state, that safe space and the choices that I've made. And that's really difficult because you come up against a lot of people who just want things to stay the same because it's safe. Um, a lot of people who might not necessarily have you have the ability to see a vision and you have to get them on board. You have to, once again, get them on that bus so that we're all in alignment and driving things, whether that's like in the business world or like even, you know, I have the same thing in my marriage, trying to convince my husband, like even like, let's buy this couch. And he's like, no, I want the giant couch. It's comfortable. Right. I, I mean, you have to bring people together. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge. And I know that some of the feedback I've gotten is that, I can be really overwhelming in that space. <laughs> Most of us that are rebels do have that feedback, right? It's just yeah. a part of who we are. And you can't yeah. be a rallier unless you're a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But that, and, and you have to really get comfortable with rejection. And let's be frank, I'm still not comfortable with rejection. I mean, I still, I'm still working that when I get feedback, not to collapse and have my ego ju just completely cave in on me. I've definitely made some huge strides in the last few years when I understand, like, even when I'm getting this feedback about me personally, it's not about me. It's, it's about the wider vision of what I'm working on. And it's also about working with other people and being collaborative. And so I've done a lot of work around separating myself, you know, from the feedback that I get from other people. And it's helped me grow leaps and bounds. You said something really powerful, which I just want to underscore, especially for like, the young women who are trying to figure out how to navigate the difficult and complex landscapes that are business and career and tech. And, and that is that you learned how to separate your personal aspect from, from like the rejection. And if you think about like compartmentalizing that, and this is something as an entrepreneur that I run into constantly, right? Like you're going to run into roadblocks every day, like multiple times a day. And sometimes it's a customer or a prospect that decides to go a different direction. And sometimes it's an investor that decides to go a different direction. And sometimes it's just an employee that you love and you want to keep happy and you just figure out that you can't anymore. And it's hard because for me, it is very personal. The business is mine. It's my baby. I've spent everything trying to grow it. But at the same time, you have to separate it and you have to understand that Sometimes there's a time when it's okay for the other person to go a different direction. They may come back and you keep the door open, but you have to accept it and not take it personally. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it's it's really, you probably had some just significant experiences around that as an entrepreneur and you know, struggling to build each of your three businesses, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think calluses is a part of like growth, right? You just, if you can't take rejection, you can't grow. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think. The calluses part is where like maybe we'll differentiate because I don't ever want to have those calluses. I think building up um, any sort of callousness um, really prevents you from fully engaging with another person on an empathetic level, but also, you know, feeling your own feelings as well. 
And, and part of that, not um, separating myself from the objection was also, I'm going to say this, like really understanding how to not be afraid of my own feelings. Feelings are just information. My feelings are not me necessarily, and they're no reflection on me, but they're information that I'm, I'm learning, still learning how to process in order to understand things. Like when I get angry, okay, I've learned that when I get angry, my boundaries have been infringed upon. So then I start asking myself, well, what happened? What are these boundaries that were infringed upon? And I start looking at more clinically. Um, and then I can start addressing the actual problem. So anger is a symptom of the actual problem of I need to have better boundaries. I need to communicate with someone at work that, you know, you can't maybe drop this thing on me last minute. You need to come to me two or three weeks ahead of time in order to get this work done, right? Um, so, and that's how I've gotten to a much more healthier place of understanding rejection as well as considering emotions information rather than an essence of like who I am and what I am. I love that. It's it's like a balance of being in touch with your own self and your boundaries, but also having the empathy as you as you continue to collaborate with others. That's awesome. So one of the things that dream makers tend to do is lift people up and lift people up in their communities. What do you do there? How do you make that happen? Um, so the immediate thing that came to mind was this image of my friend, Catherine, who I work with. She's a design manager at Freeletics. And something that we've talked about a lot is creating psychological safety uh, for people to be able to voice their opinions and understand that when they disagree, that their opinion is heard and we actively engage their concerns and why they're disagreeing. And, and that's something that's both so important uh, to both Catherine and I. And that's actually one of the things that brought us together and we became friends. But also part of that is allowing the autonomy for people on my team, you know, to explore and really understand, um, you know, the pros and cons of the work they're doing so that they can voice these really informed opinions as well. They need to have the space to work. They need to have the time to work and they need to feel like um, they have blockers so that they can focus on what they're working on. And I think all of those three things work together to really create a kick-ass team that produces amazing work, right? Because we all know from research, and especially as women, that diversity of opinion and diversity of viewpoints is really how you innovate. So anything I can do to bring that in to the workplace is something that I'm really passionate about. Absolutely. And there's there's so much proof that having diversity in the workplace, whether it's diversity from the perspective of minorities and other underrepresented folks, but also just diversity of thought in general, like people that come from different backgrounds or different experiences coming together to have that space to think and imagine is, is super powerful. Cool. Well, what would you say to our listeners, many of them being women that are on a path towards something that they're dreaming about, what would you say to them about trying to achieve a dream? Okay, finally, you give me an easy question. <laughs> Self-compassion. So think about like when you're sitting around with your girlfriends and you're bitching about something at work or, you know, you're just complaining about how tough things are in life or, you know, a relationship or whatever, right? You sit there and you lean forward and you're like, oh, honey, 
you know, like go easier on yourself, be kind to yourself. Oh yeah, this is not fair. You know, yeah, you're really struggling. Right. And you know, you drink some wine, you, you really like you sit there and listen for hours and you just work this shit out with her. What are you doing for yourself in return? Right. So we give compassion to our loved ones, but we often don't give ourselves compassion. Instead, what's going on in our head is I'm not working enough hours. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. Oh my God. I look awful today. Oh man. I'm getting bags under my eyes. Oh, look, there's another wrinkle. Oh, I put on five pounds. I'm, you know, like, yeah, we just tear ourselves apart internally. And, um, there was this really great Harvard business review article about like how, how there is a ton of research around how it's not self-confidence that actually brings you success. It's self-compassion. And I was like, that is so spot on Um, because when you can cut yourself a break, you suddenly, you suddenly have that, that space and that um, breath to really think and rest and recover. Right. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Give yourself the compassion that you give your loved ones. That's awesome. This kind of just triggered something for me. I, I have done this thing called Tuesdays at noon for years now And it started because I lived in San Francisco and at noon on Tuesdays, they would do the fog alarm as like a test of the emergency system. And so you would hear it every Tuesday at noon, you'd hear this like foghorn. And I kind of took that as an opportunity to reset. And my whole thing was let yourself free of all the burdens that you've like put on yourself, like, and all the negativity and all the negative energy. I would like physically in my mind, take it in one bucket and like push it out. And then all the things I learned and all the positivity and all the reinforcement, I would take it with me forward. And that was like just a symbolic moment in time that I would think about every week, once a week, like give yourself a chance to like move forward from this point. Right. And it always just pushed me one step ahead. It's like, oh, well, I learned all this. And even when I fell, I learned something from that failure or from falling. And and, um, it's been so powerful just as a tool. And as I've gotten older and more experienced in my career, I've taken it forward with me. And it comes back to like building the calluses. It's not about not having empathy. It's more about allowing yourself to not be hurt by it, you know? Yeah. So I actually have a question for you. How, how did you get to that point where you understood what you needed to do at Tuesdays at noon? Because I think a lot of us, like we, it doesn't even occur to us to stop and have that mindfulness moment. So like, do you remember what the trigger was to actually start doing that? I can't remember what triggered it, but I just, I remember there was a moment, there was a time when I decided that I was not going to allow negative energy around me and that I was going to take the positive energy and the positive reinforcement and the good people that were lifting me up and my champions and let them be where I focus and that I would try to separate myself from the negative energy. And that wasn't that I wouldn't be empathetic towards people that had that, but I just wasn't going to allow it to enter my realm of thinking. And that was uh, that was a powerful moment because it pushes you, it just pushes you forward, right? Like we have such a short time to contribute to the community and to life. And there's the careers and then there's what you do after your careers and there's what you do leading up to it. And I would like it to be as positive as possible. And like, I've always been optimistic and optimism driven. And so this is a way to like, take that and symbolize it into something that's a tool to actually push yourself forward. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cause yeah, for so many people, it's just making that shift, that decision. And there's this moment in your life where you just decide I need to pivot. I need to do something different. 
So that's a good transition to my next question, which is <laughs> <laughs> every dream maker I know has this awesome just do it moment. Can you think of what yours might be? Okay. I feel like I have so many, but okay. Um, I'll tell one that I think a lot of women can probably relate with. So I was like, I don't know, like four months into my job at Disney, which was my dream job um, ever since I was a kid, I had wanted to work for Disney in some capacity, um, the biggest one being an animator. So I started at Disney as a product manager and I was handling content for them. And uh, I had just come back from a trip, seeing some friends in Boston. Um, I flew in on a red eye to Los Angeles, uh, picked up my car at LAX, drove to Burbank to work, Glendale. And got out of my car and promptly collapsed in pain, like right next to my car. And that led to an emergency surgery for endometriosis. It was supposed to be an um, outpatient, you know, laparoscopic, super easy. Instead, it went completely pear-shaped and I ended up in the hospital for four days uh, because the endometriosis was so bad. So it absolutely wrecked all of my internal female organs, unable to have children now because of it. It was a very traumatic time. And Disney and everyone that I worked with, my boss, oh, they were amazing. And it was my first experience with a company that, you know, didn't treat me really as, you know, an employee, but treated me as family because everyone set the example of putting themselves first, then their family, and then the job. So it was great, which made me want to come back to work as soon as possible. And I came back probably two weeks too soon. Mm -hmm. I hobbled in on um, these Michael Kors Dorsey stiletto high heels and a pencil skirt, you know, basically trying to look super composed and like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about me. Uh, you know, trying to keep everything together into an all hands meeting where they had announced they were reorging. And so I stand in the back and my vice president's up front talking about things. She waves at me, gives me the thumbs up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm back. Um, nothing's changed. And then she announces to everyone that I'm now going to be in charge of Star Wars. Oh my God. <laughs> probably at that time in 2000, 2016, like the biggest brand in the world. And I mean, I felt those stilettos wobble uh, and I just went, oh shit, I'm not ready for this. Uh, and I stood there just smiling, going, keep, keep, keep smiling, keep smiling. Don't panic. Do I look like I'm panicking? I probably look like I'm panicking. I hobbled back to my desk, sat down, started taking a few breaths. And um, my friend Shauna came over, put her hand on my shoulder and she said, girlfriend, you got this. And I, I said, you know what, this is my moment. I've got this. And I worked my ass off probably more than I should have after that surgery. But, um, man, yeah, I worked so hard working with the people at Lucasfilm and I loved working with them and I did everything I could to bring value, um, to, to their job, to the part of Star Wars that I owned to be an awesome representative of this brand and the best product manager they could possibly have. Even though I was so terrified being put in, you know, I was in this really vulnerable position yeah. and then here I'm given this enormous, what I thought was an enormous responsibility and I did it. But the thing is like, I didn't do it alone. 
And that was really, I think, super key for me. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just me that made a success out of it. It was everyone that I worked with and they fully supported me. And it was just so beautiful. A lot of it is about finding your tribe and having people around you that are your champions. And it sounds like, are you still in touch with Shauna? We text every single night. That's awesome. Everybody needs a Shauna. And like, I just want to say for the the people that are listening, find your Shauna or your group of Shaunas, because those are the people that are going to help carry you. And especially as women, we need to help each other and lift each other up in those situations. And Thank you for sharing such a personal story as well. I know endometriosis is very common. A lot of people don't talk about it. I actually suffered from it too, and I never had kids as well. And so um, I I share, I empathize with you, and I went through a lot dealing with that and accepting that myself. Um, But it's something that it's like, it's crazy how often it's not discussed and shared. So appreciate you being willing to share that. No, that's part of it. That's part of why I talk about my experiences like that, because, you know, we shouldn't stigmatize them. And also real quick, shout out to Shauna. She also put my wedding together in a week along with my mother. She's a super (laughs) crazy project manager. So she is like the backbone of any amazing tech team. So Shauna's fabulous. Awesome. Shout out to Shauna. (laughs) So one of my favorite pieces of advice has always been never be boring. And you certainly are not boring. Um, I would love to hear about, I know you mentioned F1 earlier, maybe your love for F1 and like, what else, how else do you consider yourself to not be boring? My God, you just put a quarter in me when you ask me to talk about <laughs> F1. Yeah. You put a quarter in a machine that just like to make it play. Oh my God. So thank you for not considering me boring. Um, this goes back to that voice inside your head that just tells you, you know, all the things that you think you are because uh, of your subjective experience. Right. But Oh my God, I love Formula One. I love fast cars. I love race cars. I love Ferraris. This is the cliche. I'm a Ferrari fan for Formula One, but I love the technology aspect. Um, I love that technology is part of a sport, but like what a lot of people I think who don't watch Formula One don't understand is that it's a team sport and you have a team that starts building the car before the even the current uh, championship year has finished and they're designing the car against not like right now, nine other teams. Uh, and they're using technology to do it. And it's engineers and data scientists, right. And they're building a car for one person to drive. And it's just phenomenal for me. And even though I'm a Ferrari fan, like considered like Mercedes are the reigning champions. And on top of that, I love what Mercedes does because the man who leads them, his name's Toto Wolf his leadership is inspirational. Like he has said, we win together and we lose together. And he has worked so hard to create this culture where anyone can voice an opinion. And I've just learned so much from watching interviews with him where, you know, they have a standard on their team where it's you see it, say it, fix it. Right. And these are things that I've brought into my team at Freeletics. If we see something, we talk about it and then we talk about fixing it. So yeah, I'm tying my hobby back to, you know, work, but like, it's really important. I love team sports and I feel like F1 really falls in line with the fact that I work with in tech and I like, you know, it's a team sport and my job is a team sport too. So there are a lot of really nice parallels, but also fast cars and exotic locations. There's something with, with my guests on Dreammakers and fast cars. My last guest, Tracy Milligan is a race car enthusiast and she actually races. 
So um, I sense a theme. So maybe I should change from wine to race cars and see see what we can do. Um, Okay. Is there a way that you would try to cultivate not being boring? Like, what would you tell your younger followers? Be curious. Mm-hmm. That's the number one way to to not be boring. So it's it's not about I guess cultivating not being boring. It's about cultivating curiosity. Um, when you're curious in things, you go and learn about them, and then you can talk about them. You can get involved in them, and and yeah, you're you're not if you're a curious person, then you are definitely not boring. And I, uh, my mother, my mother would probably tell you my curiosity is a curse. Um, cause she was, I was always running off and like talking to people and asking people questions when I was a kid and it gave her a heart attack. Every time she turned around, I was gone and talking to a stranger. Um, <laughs> and I was always reading books and every summer I went, I, I went to a private school and I commuted. So all, you know, I was an hour away from all the other students. And so my summers were spent constantly going to the library and I would teach myself a new language every summer because I was so curious about other cultures and how other people spoke and communicated. And so, yeah, it's that curiosity that makes you not be boring. You should always be asking questions and always wanting to learn about the world. I'm with you. I think curiosity is actually a superpower. So you've got more than one. I think that's amazing. (laughs) Okay. I've got one more question for you and then we're going to go into rapid fire because we are going to run out of time soon. So let me jump to that. How do you define success? Oh my gosh, how do I define success? Success is really, I think, when you do things that are meaningful for you. I stopped a while ago subscribing to money and fame and you know high-powered jobs as success. I think success is what brings you joy. So when I finish the second novel I'm writing, that probably won't be published, but it's just for me, that's success, right? Because it's joyful. Yeah, yeah. It's success is when your life is filled with joy. And I understand your life can't be filled with joy always. But if you are pursuing what makes you joyful, then I do think your life is a success. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, I'm going to jump into rapid fire. Oh my God. (laughs) So I try to ask my guests the same four questions and I'm just Respond with what comes to you. First, what's your wake up song? Anything by Run the Jewels. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love that. We might have to play a little bit of that. Okay. If your 19 year old you asked you today what they should read or what they should listen to, what would you say? Listen to way more Kate Bush and Devour the Speed of Trust by Stephen R.M. Covey. Love it. Which is way above a teenager, but whatever, be ambitious. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What's the wine you would recommend? My friend Monica brought it over last night. She's Italian. She's from the Marche region of Italy. It's on the Adriatic coast of Italy in the central part. It's called an Umani Ronchi. It's spelled U-M-A-N-I. And then R-O-N-C-H-I for all of those that don't speak Italian, including me. (laughs) Awesome. That's a red wine? It is a red wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like very much tastes very similar to home. So like a Santa Cruz Pinot Noir. Oh, nice. It's really beautiful. Really beautiful. We'll look that up and maybe add it to the notes in the podcast as well. Cool. 
What should our listeners do tomorrow to help them become dream makers? Okay, this is a big one. I think cultivate the paradox of being both open and selective. So really open to other ideas and viewpoints and experiences um, that you might not usually be open to, but also be really selective and discriminating in those and understand like what's worth your time and what's not. And it really is a paradox and it's a constant balance. And it's something that I strive for, but I really feel like it brings so many opportunities when, when you work in that paradox. I think a lot of people are really afraid of being selective because they think they're going to shut down opportunities or, um, you know, chances at good things. Right. And so they're not selective, but I read this book by Elizabeth Gilbert, you know, eat, pray, love. I don't know if I got it in that right order, but everyone knows that book. Um, It's called Big Magic, where she talks about how she had this idea for a novel and she didn't pursue it. Um, And then a couple of years later, a friend of hers came to her and said, hey, I'd love your feedback on this novel I'm writing. And it was almost identical. And they had never shared the idea. And so Elizabeth Gilbert goes on to say that she believes that ideas are put out there for you Mm -hmm. to either accept and take on as your own you know, or pass on and they go to someone else. I definitely embrace that. And so if you're being selective, you're maybe turning down something that's not right for you, but it's going to go out there and be available for someone else. And that's a really beautiful thing because that's a way of like giving back and making this world, you know, a better place is, you know, you're turning down an opportunity, but someone else is going to have that opportunity and someone else is going to go on and push that forward. I love that. I relate to that so much as an entrepreneur, because as an entrepreneur, you're constantly thinking about the next thing. And then, you know, what do you want to do next? What do you want to build? And there's always ideas, like always, always ideas. And you can't do them all. You really can't, even if you want to, and even if your soul is into it. And what I love about having just started dabbling in angel investing is that there are other people that can take the idea forward and I can provide some guidance and my advice and and even just my creative angle, but really you're relying on someone else to bring the idea to life and to be the inventor. And you can assist them in any way that you can, but you're, like you said, you're, you're empowering others and that's a beautiful thing. Really great advice for our young listeners. Thank you very much, Christy. Sante, to you again, thank you for giving me an excuse to drink a lovely glass of champagne at 10 in the morning, my time on a Friday. Thank you for giving me an excuse to drink champagne, period. (laughs) It was so lovely having this conversation with you. You're such an incredible guest. I hope we get to do this again sometime. Thanks again. Appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's been a really awesome time. I love talking to another woman about life and careers and wine. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to the Dream Makers podcast. You can reach out to me, Neha Sapat, on Twitter at Neha SF. That's at N-E-H-A-S-F. With comments, suggestions, or your favorite wake-up song, wine, or Dreammaker woman to know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to Dreammakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human. Thank you.